On episode 520 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Emily Willingham and discuss her book, The Tailored Brain. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 520. If you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness, the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Alan Meisner. I'm an NSAM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, and fitness nutrition, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA level two online trainer. I'm joined each week by our co-host, Rachel Everett. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey, all right? Let's go. When people ask me who I listen to to keep up with what it takes to get and stay fit as we age, to learn new techniques, and keep motivated, on the top of my list is Dr. Jonathan Sue, physical therapist, fitness expert, and the host of the Get Fit Guy podcast. It's part of the Quick and Dirty Tips Network. So in quick, smart episodes, Dr. Sue uses step-by-step explanations and scientific evidence to help you move through the world with ease and enjoyment. He covers practical topics like how stretching can improve cardiovascular health, exercises to help with knee pain, and how to get the most out of walking for exercise. And he'll share tips on how to avoid neck, back, and shoulder pain, ways to relieve post-exercise soreness, and what to eat before, during, and after your workout. Whether you want to begin an exercise routine and don't know where to start, or you're looking to shake things up, Dr. Sue's tips will help you reach your fitness goals and create a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. Listen to new episodes of the Get Fit Guy every Tuesday. Just search for Get Fit Guy wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Raz. Hey, Ellen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So we... um. We we did the recording of two episodes at once. So this is where mm-hmm. Rachel and I were literally just sitting here five minutes ago, wrapping up the other episode, uh, five I think five nineteen that you just listened mm-hmm. to, you listened to last week. This episode, there's no real hello, but I just we wanted to have this little hello segment. Uh, so when I say welcome back, it doesn't sound so weird. But so <laughs> let's go ahead and have this conversation with Dr. Willingham. Great. Our guest today is a journalist and science writer. In the book we're going to discuss today, The Tailored Brain, she explores the promises and limitations of well-known and emerging methods of brain customization, including prescription drugs, diets, and new research on the power of your social brain. She is a regular contributor to Scientific American, so you know she's done her homework. With no further ado, here's Dr. Emily Willingham. Dr. Willingham, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Alan, hi. It's nice to be here. Now, your book is called The Tailored Brain, From Ketamine to Keto to Companionship, A User's Guide to Feeling Better and Thinking Smarter. And as someone who's now in their mid-50s and hitting the second age, the second half of the 50s, I don't feel as smart as I did when I was younger. You know, when I was, when I was 13, I knew everything. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all and then i got into college and it's like okay i got some things to learn um and now i feel like okay uh if i don't use my brain on a regular basis i i could actually it could 
I mean, it could turn to fat. Like, I mean, it's already, you know, it's 60% fat, but it's like, it could just stop working one day and I just wake up and not know my name. Uh, so I think a lot of us know, okay, dementia is a real thing. These are things, some of these are real, you know, you're really losing it. And other times are just, okay, so I forgot where I left my keys and that's not really dementia, but I don't want to forget where I left my keys. Okay. And so thinking of ways that I can improve my not necessarily intelligence, but memory and the capacity to function well, or at least feel like I'm still not losing it. I think it's really important. So I appreciate the opportunity to have you on to talk about a book like this. I'm really glad to be here to talk about those things because it does address them all. Good. So now I think a lot of times we go into this and it's like, okay, I want to be smarter. I want to maintain my, my brain. I want to do some things. And we're, we're kind of given these studies because it's the easiest way to know what works is to actually study it and then come back with these results. And so we know, okay, yeah, you kind of do have to use your brain for it to continue to function the way you want to. And you can get smarter at certain things. Like if you study, you do Sudoku puzzles, then your, your brain's going to learn how to do Sudoku puzzles really well. Uh, and I had, a, I had a guy on before and he said, well, if you really want to challenge yourself try to write a Sudoku puzzle. Uh, and I, and I did, uh, it's not easy <laughs> to actually do it reverse, reverse engineer a Sudoku puzzle. Uh, but I did it. Uh, and actually if you go to the show notes for this episode, I'll, I'll include a link to that if you want to do cool. that. Sudoku. Yeah. But, <laughs> but sometimes what we see as far as the press and the headlines and this and that is, you know, uh, it's not that it's wrong. It's just, it's sort of the pseudoscience as you, as you put in the book and you had a really cool checklist. So why, why is all this stuff out there that isn't true actually out there? And, and what, what are some ways and you have 10 questions, but what are some ways that we can look at it and kind of know, okay, this is probably not true. Well, I first published this checklist. It was when I was a force contributor and, um, or maybe it was even earlier than that, but the, the aim of it was to get people to sort of critically analyze information as it was coming to them. And I think, you know, the first place that you can look and be analytical is who is giving you this information? Where is that information coming from? And so you want to look at the source and to think, well, what might their agenda be? And I don't mean in a conspiratorial way, but in a way of what motivation do they have to say, oh, you need to try this elixir of life that's going to add 10 years to you know, your lifespan. Well, okay, so go see who makes the elixir of life? Who is this person and do they have any association with it? That doesn't immediately negate that it's effective, but it's a starting point for you to maybe think, okay, well, that's a little weird. I should dig a little deeper. Yeah. Now I, 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 I have to admit, you know, I'm, I'm just as likely to fall for these things as, as anybody else, because it's, it just, some of it just sounds so cool. You know, you're listening to this one podcast and this guy's like, oh, you, you, you've got to try this one supplement. It's going to make you so much more focused, so much smarter. Uh, you're going to be so much more creative. Um, and, and so, you know, you go out and you, you pay the $90 and you buy that bottle of supplements. And I don't know, but, you know, I felt like I was maybe, maybe it was working, but then at the same time, I also know I'm not someone, uh, who's 
immune from the placebo effect with things like that. So can we talk a little bit about uh, supplements, particularly as we look at things like neurohacking? Sure. Yeah. And that plays into this list as well, because one of the things you want to look at is, is it, a, a, is the claim something that's kind of exceptionally broad, you know, is it going to help your whole brain to do the same because the brain is a really complicated organ. It would be kind of odd for something to really have a huge global effect that way. The other thing is what you described, which is a testimonial. Somebody says, oh, this did the thing for me, but they don't, there's not an evidence base that that is being provided when somebody says, oh, this just made me feel better. The other thing is, is that if you spend $90 on something, you've sunk some cost into it. And we don't like to think that we wasted those costs. We don't like to think that we wasted our investment, regardless of whether it's monetary or some other form of investment. And so then we kind of become invested in a kind of a more extended way, right? Yeah, so it's into, a cognitive bias at that yes, point. Yes, <laughs> exactly. We have this bias that, man, I really hope this works. And then, yes, the, you know, placebo effect is real. There's a physiological, there are physiological underpinnings to it. There's a study that they did with, um, with psychedelics, with microdosing. And in some cases, they had the people dose with their own microdoses of psychedelics that they were using. But in some cases, they swapped those out for just nothing. Um, not the people taking them, but the researchers. And then later did you know the big unveiling. And the, the people were very surprised to find that they had these experiences <laughs> of that they thought were because they were microdosing psychedelics. And it was nothing. There was nothing in the pill at all. And one of them literally said, wow, you've actually found a way to put spirituality into an empty pill. You know, so that's something that's coming from within. It's it's a physiology that's saying, yes, this yeah. is doing something. For and, and, and the microdosing, just to kind of be clear on that, if anyone doesn't know what that is, is basically yeah. where you take a, a, a psychedelic and instead of taking what would be considered like a full trippy, trippy kind of dose where you're really going off the deep end of these things, it's a, it's a, a piece of it, maybe a 10th or a 20th of a normal dose. Yeah. Right. That's right. And, and, and they're not supposed to, you're not supposed to really trip on them like you would if you did a big walloping dose of, you know, mushrooms or something like that. So yeah, you're just supposed to just kind of feel, I guess, a little lifted, you know, if you take them. Yeah. And so that's really popular with coders in Silicon Valley and some of the other creatives out there that think, okay, I can walk into the workplace and not look like I'm tripping uh, and still kind of get some benefits from this, uh, this drug that I'm taking. Right. Now, another one, another two things you talked about, which is, again, it's kind of that fascinating science fiction-y, oh, wow, if we could do this, we could talk to animals kind of thing, is, is DCS, which is using uh, current, and TMS, which is using magnetics. Right. Uh, very sim- they're very similar. And there's, you talk about a little bit about how there's a little crossover between why one and why the other. Can you talk about those technologies, how they're being used, and, and what you're saying about them? The, the, the transcranial direct um, stimulation, direct current stimulation is the, the one that strikes me as kind of holding the most danger because it's one that people, you can just order a kit, you know, please don't go do that because the evidence base for it's doing anything that people want it to do is not as sparse. Uh, from what I could find, I had one neurologist who has a lot of experience with this just say, please don't go, you know, experimenting with your brain. You order them, you put electrodes on, you zap your brain, um, and, you know, someplace that allegedly is going to achieve the outcome you want, whether it's like by just feeling smarter or having, you know, more, you know, a greater attention or focus or whatever. And, um, 
if you go and look at boards where people aggregate and discuss their these effects, some of the things they say are really kind of like frightening. Um, I lost my second language. I can't spell anymore. I can't find words, and all of that is anecdotal as well. But balanced up against the fact that there there don't seem to be a lot of data to support it, I would kind of steer clear of that. I would go for a walk before I would put an electrode on my head and just kind of zap my brain and hope I was getting the right spot, you know? Oh, yeah, because that's crazy because I'm like looking at, I, you know, you and I don't wear the same hat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we bought a we bought right. a kit. It's like, okay, you know, uh, we're talking about trying to fire off particular neurons and those are not like big things. They're like little bitty things we're trying to yeah. find and, and, and specify and, and, you know, and, and, and we're trying to do it looking at, I guess, looking in a mirror. Um. <laughs> the whole thing strikes me as just, a, you know, just a little bit of a clue. So I would not, you know, run and spend the, however much it is, $40. I mean, some of them are quite inexpensive, which might also be a bit of a red flag. I don't know. Uh, or so. the burns on your head. Uh. Or those burns on the head that they talked about as well. I'm just thinking, yeah, I'm going to try walking first and see if I get anything from that. The other one, though, that you are that you mentioned is um, transcranial magnetic stimulation. And you cannot go and order this is a very pricey thing to do. And they have done some trials with these where they, um, for example, apply the stimulation and people see very transient improvements in how they perform on certain cognitively challenging tasks. And then it is also something that is used for depression, and that is um, a, a prescription kind of version of it. So that one shows you know, more promise, and there's also a more controlled exposure. You can't just yeah. go order yourself a TMS. I mean, well, and I think the reality of these things is that, you know, you have doctors. If, if, a, if a doctor's working with you to solve a problem and they're using these therapies, then, you know, they're coming from a place where they, they do this. They do this every year, every day, every week. And as a result, they have some experience with it. Uh, they know what some of the not to do things. And uh, as a result, it is a part of a protocol or a treatment. You understand that and say, okay, that, but if this is something you're trying to do on your own, you need one of these, even if it's accessible, is not necessarily in your best interest. Exactly. There, there's again, this is a situation where practice actually does make perfect. Just like you get better at doing crossword puzzles, the more of those that you do, I, you're right. Clinicians are going to have a level of expertise and understand how to map the brain and target the right place for something like TMS. That would be so. It'd be like trying to cut your own hair almost, you know, to really get to the right place and get the kind of tailoring that you want for it. And then the final one is, is games. And this one was kind of interesting to me because, you know, um, I've always thought, you know, if I learn how to do Sudoku, learn how to maybe play chess or learn a foreign language or those type of things, that those, those stimulations are, are there's, there's definitely got to be some benefit to it. But when you get on those games that are specifically for cognitive enhancement, and I'll, I'll, I'll even full fast, I went to a doctor and part of his protocol for talking about aging was that he was going to make us cognitively better. And after I played the game that he had me play for half an hour, I just knew if I came back and played that game, I now know things I didn't know going into it the first time that I was probably going to do better at that game just from the sake that I played it before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people like these games. They, they feel like you're doing something but what you've seen out there is that maybe they're not giving us the enhancement that we think they are. 
you know, there, there are video games, there are brain games, there are all kinds of things that people said, oh, this is going to give you this kind of globally improved thinking, right? Um, but there are some researchers who've really, really gone granular with the data from the studies that have been done on these things. And they, they just it's a wash. You don't see what they call far transfer effects away from this precise skill that you're building when you, you know, do a crossword puzzle. Um, and so that, or play chess, for example. And so they, they, one of them just said to me, you know, you play chess because you enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah. And that's the best reason to do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, kind of one of those things of they're doing the crosswords and just, you know, staying a little bit sharp with them because you feel good sitting there on a Sunday doing the New York Times crossword puzzle is, is actually, you know, it's relaxing, it's comfortable, which being relaxing kind of takes us to the next topic that maybe you feel smarter because you've taken time to de-stress. Yeah. That's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> that's such because, a big one. Because, because I can tell you, yeah. yeah, well, I'll tell you straight up. When I'm stressed, my brain works like I'm in kindergarten again. It's mm. like I, I, it's almost like I become, I become a dumber person. I mean, sorry, <laughs> but that's why I have to say it. Well, yeah, mine, I, I feel sort of like it's a washing machine in there. You know, everything's just going to swish around, and I can't like just capture the thing I'm trying to capture because there's just too much going on. And it is true that stress does do that. It, it, it. it it places a cognitive burden on you on top of everything else. And yeah, if you're sitting there and you're doing the New York Times crossword on a Sunday, and especially if you get that thing completed without cheating at all, you know, you get this little reward and you feel pretty good about yourself and you just, woo, everything feels kind of refreshed. And you took time away from everything else around you, just from that one that may look good. And that is relief. It lifts a burden out of your mind. Again. Now, we own a bed and breakfast, and so this guy came up yesterday, and he was he was in a hurry, and you know he threw this this math puzzle at me real quick, and so here here's the deal: is basically if they charge something on a credit card, I have to charge them five percent to cover the fees, and so he said, okay, well, how much do I owe you? I'm like one hundred thirty dollars. He's like, okay. He said, I'll give you forty dollars in cash, and I said, okay, that's ninety left. And then the 5%. And I said 450, but then I sat down on my calculator and I calculated it and came up to 360. And I'm like, okay. And so I just charged him 360. And after he walked away, I was like, okay, I was stressed. I was, you know, pressured. And I I knew it was 450, but then I I let my brain turn that off mm -hmm. because of the stress of getting getting this guy done quickly. Cause now I've got to get it in the system, then I got to charge the credit card. And and so I turn my brain off. Well, why, why does stress affect us that way? Like you said, washing machine, or for me, it's just, <laughs> I'm an accountant uh, by trade before I became this. And I'm like, the math was in my head, but I didn't believe myself. I had to recalculate and made a mistake and then still didn't pick up on it till after he was gone. Right. There's a famous book, Thinking Fast and Slow, um, by Kahneman, um, in which he sort of talks about these two systems we have. One of them is our snap decision system, and the other one is the more deliberative long-term system. But that, that second one takes a lot of resources for us to really take time and think through things. And when we're under stress, we kind of just default to that other one that maybe is not as filtered or as deliberative. They've done, there's a study that they did where people who were overtaxed with a lot of um, multiple 
tasks at once, if they were given an option to get some money now or wait a little while, like a half hour or something and get double the money well, when they were overtaxed that way, kind of similarly to what you were experiencing, they're just like, just give it to me now because I just don't have time to think about this, you know? And yeah. either way, at least I guess I'm getting some money. Whereas, you know, if you had, we were being deliberative, you're just sitting there doing your New York Times crossword and nothing else. You'd be like, yeah, I, I'm going to wait, <laughs> get double. Right. Yeah. Now, so we've, we've talked about that neural hacking and how that stuff's not going to work. And obviously then stress is something that all of us are dealing with uh, probably more now than any time in our lifetime with all the things that are going on in the world and uh, more every day. What are some things, and, and I, I particularly want to dive into a couple of them, but what are some things that we can do to improve our cognition and effectively tailor our brain? Well, you've actually mentioned one, and that is, you know, an activity that makes you feel better, right? But in the book, across all of the facets of our sort of what we do with our brains that I looked at, physical activity is a big one. Um, and if you engage in it with somebody else or you get out in nature while you're doing it, you add you know, some dividends to it as well. Now, you, I mean, I'm thinking like using accounting terms because you <laughs> mentioned accounting. <laughs> but <laughs> those two things feed off of each other. And, you know, we, we, everything that we're doing when we do those kinds of things is we're giving away a little bit of our cognitive burden, right? When you do things with your body, when you do physical activity, there are things, the, the physiology that goes on there is yes, you get more oxygen to your brain. There are some molecules in your brain that you can get higher levels of them that will help you kind of refresh neuronal connections and things like that. But you're also kind of using your body, which if you're having like adrenaline from, you know, stress and anxiety and things like that, it helps you kind of fizz that away as well. There are all these things that go on that intersect that relieve that burden in our heads and give us some space to be more clear in our thinking. Yeah. For, for me, when I was in like major stress mode at work, uh, when I was in corporate, it was okay. I got to go throw heavy weights around, um, yeah. you know, so I go in the gym and like, just pick up heavy things. Uh, my co-host, uh, Rachel, she's a runner. So for her, if she gets stressed, she's probably going to put on her running shoes and and, and go, go do something long. But if you're looking at the types of exercises that are best for improving cognitive, are there, are there some that are better than others or? It is really what you just described. I mean, some people really that deep body work, you know, where you just feel it so deeply, um, they get a huge benefit out of that. And others get benefit about from the forward motion along with just kind of, I think, being outside and things. I have somebody in my house who has to do both, <laughs> like pretty intensively, just, you know, so that their their mood feels better for them and they feel kind of more at peace inside their own heads. So it's, it's very, that's the tailoring part is, you know, how much do you do and what kind, what the studies do show is it doesn't have to be a ton. It can be pretty moderate, um, kind of according to the recommendations of the public health folks. Okay. So this could be just going for a walk, particularly in yeah. nature. It can be doing yeah. some yoga. Sure. Uh, tai, tai Chi. chi. Okay. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Things that, you know, as we get older, it's kind of harder for us to do some of the heavy things, right? Yeah. The kind of more strenuous things has been my, I also am in my mid fifties and that's just kind of been my experience. And so you make adjustments for that, but there are all kinds of physical activities that are, that seem to be effective. Yeah. So this is just another benefit to exercise. So take that to heart, yeah. not just 
looking and feeling better, but actually being a little bit smarter. <laughs> I think you think it better, feeling a brain that I can't think is more comfortable with itself. Yeah. Cool. And then another big one that was in the book that I think, you know, we all know this is important, but it's it's kind of it used to be really woo-woo and, and now it's kind of more mainstream, uh, but mindfulness and a mindfulness practice. Can you talk a little bit about how that helps us and kind of ways that we can think about using mindfulness to help? Right. I came to that as somebody who who I was a skeptic of it but for lots of reasons. And you know, it's a bias that I brought to it. And so it was one of the reasons I wanted to look at it for this book was, you know, I want to see what the evidence looks like for this. And then I came away, I wrote this book during the pandemic. And I came away using all of the things that I had read about because I was like, oh, so, you know, I'm a naif when it comes to this kind of thing. And there are practitioners out there who are probably just going, yeah, duh, right? But for someone like me, it was very effective to learn about that and to find an evidence base for it. What I found was is that when you start to get into spiraling thinking, especially you know, sort of self-focused and not in a good way, that if you do practices that click you out of that so that you're using kind of an executive function to order yourself around and make yourself do responsible thing and you're co-opting your attention network in a really conscious way so that you're directing your attention very consciously that gets you away from those thought processes that are kind of internally and negatively oriented it's been really useful. Spiraling anxiety, I use a lot for that because of what's going on in the world right now. It has been, I would almost say for me, it has been kind of life-saving in a way. Yeah. Well, good, good. Um, well, Dr. Willingham, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? First of all, you can call me Emily. I should have mentioned that at the top. <laughs> now you earned that doctorate. You earned that doctorate. I know that they don't. They do not just hand those out. There's a lot that goes into in earning that DR. So no, it's yours. <laughs> no, I appreciate that acknowledgement. Thank you so much. I would say the three things that I took away from this book and that I am using are mindfulness. That thing where I really work on just clicking myself back into a moment is it. it I think it helps me for a lot of things, including focus and memory and things like that. The other one is social engagement. I'm not an extrovert, so I'm not saying, and especially right now, that you should go to a big party and you know hang out with people. I mean, in the sense of that really kind of reciprocal sharing that you have with people with whom you're close. And you, you know, you help each other and you relieve burdens by talking with one another and, you know, recognizing each other's emotions and that kind of thing and providing that sort of support. And then the last thing was that physical exercise. I actually doubled my walking. I went up from, I used to target three miles a day and now I target five or six just because I kind of need more, right? To keep things clear with the way the world is right now and the anxieties that you can have about it. So those are my three. That I took away. Great. Thank you. Uh, So, Dr. Willingham, if someone wanted to learn more about you, uh, learn more about the book, The Tailored Brain, where would you like for me to send them? They can find me on Twitter at EJ Willingham. And that's probably the best place to start. Okay. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 520. And I'll be sure to have a link to the Twitter account you just mentioned. So thank you so much for that. Uh, Thank you for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. 
You know, it was really great to talk to you today. I appreciate your having me. Welcome back, Chris. Hey, Ellen. What a really interesting conversation you had with Dr. Willingham. The brain is such a mysterious organ. It really is. Yeah. You know, as, as she got into the brain, this is one of the things I think that's cool about this book. If you're, if you're interested in learning more about the brain, was she literally mapped the brain out in a similar fashion, the way you would actually look at a globe. So, oh. you know, as you start thinking about how the brain works, you know, so she's got the whole world and then she's got continents and, and countries and cities and, and, and using those as a metaphor for describing the parts of the brain and how the brain works. And there's mm-hmm. things that she brought up, uh, you know, I'd always heard, okay, there's the lizard brain, there's the mammal brain, <laughs> then there's the human mm-hmm. aspects of our brain. And she said, it's, it's a lot more complex than that. Um, they're, they're, they're not that it's not like there's layers of brain, uh, that do these things. It's this certain parts of the brain fire. And if something's not working, then your brain can adapt a little bit and fire from different ways. And while they are getting better and better at kind of imaging how the brain works, it, everybody has a unique, their own thing brain. And so it doesn't always, the way it works for me, doesn't always, isn't always the way that works for you. And then, you know, she spent a lot of time talking about intelligence and how, you know, all these things are the, the, the pills, the electricity and magnetism, the, hmm. the games and all of that, how those biohacks, neurohacks, if you will, don't really ever bear out. Um, they make mm-hmm. use, you know, if it's like the games, you can be better at the games. If you do a crossword puzzle, you get better at crossword puzzles, but mm-hmm. they've not yet shown where you can take that and take that over to say, okay, you're a smarter person because you did crossword puzzles or you're <laughs> a smarter, better person because you played a game where you were doing something tagging butterflies, I, whatever. Um, so there's yeah. these things out there, but people will sell them to you. You know, you can buy one yeah. of those brain zappers for a couple hundred bucks, run some electricity through your brain. Maybe oh you feel better and feel like you learned something. Maybe you learned that you could actually mess up your brain pretty bad running electricity through it. Like some of the stories she's had in the book. And so just recognizing that really there's, there's not these quick fixes, these little things. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, so I tried the one of the neuroenhancer things that was just basically it was not meant for long term. I'm going to be a smarter person. It was just mm-hmm. okay. You're gonna you're gonna feel sharper. You're gonna be more alert. You know, it's nootropics and da 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 da. I tried it and I felt mm-hmm. like maybe it was giving me you know a little bit of an edge. I was feeling better. Uh, thinking felt like I thinking better, but at the same time, it just it could have been that I was on placebo effect and I right. don't know any better. Um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and and then I just didn't want to spend $90 for this stuff, you know, because it, again, it didn't, it didn't do that much, uh, right. $90 worth, but it, it, I felt a little bit, but yeah. and that could have just been, there was a, a stimulant in it. And I was like, Ooh, you know, I'm awake. <laughs> um, uh-huh. <laughs> sure. But really when she, when you boil this down with what the premise of the total book is, is of all the things they ever shown that are measurable, measurable intelligence, measurable, better brain lifespan, everything. It mm-hmm. comes down to a few core things. And her favorite was exercise, mm-hmm. but there was also sleep, nutrition, and stress reduction. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you today, 
through stress reduction, my brain works a lot better than it did when I was working a corporate job. Mm-hmm. I sure. can think circles around myself when I was at, when I had that corporate job, cause I was, I was chronically stressed all the time and I don't live that way now. And mm-hmm. so my brain just works a little bit better. It's a little bit more creative. Uh, you know, I can, I mean, I can read a book in a day, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. That's awesome. You know? <laughs> um, and I mean, I know by, I mean, by reading in a day, I don't mean reading a whole day. I mean, I can literally now a 250 page book, read it in about four and a half, five hours. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, and in a standard kind of work day, taking breaks and a lunch, um, I get up in the morning, I start reading and, you know, sometime by two o'clock in the afternoon, I finish reading the book. I send the show plan over to the author and boom, done, done for the day. Um, That's and awesome. well, I had to be able to do that this week because I had five interviews, but uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for sure. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, exercise, nutrition. Yeah sleep, stress reduction. If you put those all together, what we're talking about is improving your health, improving your fitness. And so the kind of the, the moral of the story is healthy body, healthy brain. Yes, 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 yes. And be aware of those snake oil salesmen's, those uh, get rich quick schemes and train your brain schemes are just it's just not proven out, but I think if I, if I were to reorder those, um, helpful tips, I'd start with sleep. Sleep is the most important time for your brain to rest and, and recover and stress reduction cannot be emphasized enough and good food and good movement. I think those are the, the best ways to keep your whole body healthy, especially your brain. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. All right, Raz, I'll talk to you next week. Great. Take care, Alan. You too. Thank you. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Robert Lajita, a.k.a. Dr. Bob, and discuss his book, Immunity Strong, Boost Your Natural Healing Power and Live to 100. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.